1: This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business.
2: Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to thank members of our military who are tuning in from remote locations around the world. Thank you for being with us again. In just a moment, one of the greatest inventors and futurists of our time, Mr. Raymond Kurzweil, will be joining us to give us a peek at where technology is headed and why Google is getting deep into robotics. But before he does, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little bit about his background. Raymond Kurzweil was born in Queens, New York, to parents who escaped Austria just prior to World War II. Kurzweil grew up in a household which was surrounded by creativity. His father was a noted conductor and music educator, and his mother was an equally accomplished artist. At a young age, Kurzweil became an avid fan of science fiction, and when he was just 15 years old, he wrote his first computer program, a program that analyzed the music patterns of classical composers to generate original music using those patterns. This won Kurzweil top prize in the International Science Fair and an invitation to appear on the television show, I've Got a Secret. Kurzweil is a graduate of MIT, uh, where during his sophomore year, he started a company which used computers to match high school students to the best college. Uh, This was to become the first of many inventions and companies that he was later to father. In 1974, he founded Kurzweil Computer Products, which was responsible for the world's first omni-font character recognition system, flatbed scanner, and text-to-speech synthesizer, technologies which had a major impact on the blind. In fact, these discoveries led to an unexpected friendship with Stevie Wonder and subsequently Kurzweil's invention of the first music synthesizers capable of replicating the sound of real instruments. The fact is, we don't have enough time in our short program today to list all of the inventions Mr. Kurzweil is responsible for in the arts, education, medicine, and most recently in the field of artificial intelligence. And there is certainly not enough time to do justice to the number of high honors and awards bestowed on a man who has been called the rightful heir to Thomas Edison. Suffice it to say, Kurzweil has directly or indirectly touched the lives of every human being on the planet. And now that he's joined forces with Google, we can expect his visions to manifest even faster. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report a pioneer to whom we each owe a debt of gratitude, Mr. Ray Kurzweil. Thank you for joining us today.
3: It's great to be with you, Rebecca, and thanks for that generous introduction.
2: Not at all. Now, I know you're busy and I don't want to make the mistake that uh, everyone listening has read the singularity is near or has taken the even taken any time out of their busy day to think about singularity. So let's start there. And in layman's terms, what is the singularity and what signs do you see that that transition is underway?
3: Well, the key underlying idea is something I call the law of accelerating returns which is that the power of information technology, for example, its price performance and its capacity, grows in an exponential manner, not a linear manner. And linear growth is our intuition about the future. People expect things to change, but they expect the pace of that change to to be a constant. And linear growth, that's our intuition, goes one, two, three, four, five, so at step 30, you're at 30, exponential growth, and this is not true of everything, but it's true of information technology. It goes two, four, eight, sixteen. so at step 30, you're at a billion. And this is not an idle speculation about the future. Uh, the cell phone I'm using right now is a billion times more powerful than the computers I used when I was a student, and that, that'll that happen again in uh, in another 25 years. It's also 100,000 times smaller. So exponential growth ultimately leads to radical change, and... I I discovered this some 30 years ago and saw this very smooth, predictable, exponential progression, computation, communication, and other information technologies at that time. I projected them out to 2050. We're now 30 years after I made those predictions and we're right on track. I mean, the power of computers and the power of communication are exactly where I expected them to be. And it's not just the gadgets we carry around. Uh, one industry after another becomes an information technology, and one that's made that, that transition recently is health, health and medicine. Biology used to be hit or miss, and progress was linear. That was still useful. Uh, we've quadrupled life expectancy in the last 1,000 years. or doubled it in the last 200 years, but now it's an information technology. We're literally reprogramming the information processes that underlie biology, and thus it's going to be subject to Exponential growth. These technologies are now a thousand times more powerful than they were when the genome project uh, was completed, and there'll be another. Yes, but as you point years. out,
2: our brains are not exponentially evolving. It's 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 quite inconvenient. <laughs> I have a brain that uh, is is moving very slowly these days, and so all of this well, uh, well, this actually, information that's, that's, age is just it's just overwhelmed most of us.
4: Not
3: really, because uh, one of the unique things about the human species is that we create tools to expand our reach. you know you, we couldn't reach that fruit at that higher branch a thousand years ago, so we invented a tool to extend our physical reach, and we now have brain expanders extenders, uh, like our cell phones, our smartphones our the cloud search engines all all this panoply of tools that we use. Where, you know, a kid in Africa with a smartphone can access more information intelligently than the President of the United States could 15 years ago. These are brain extenders. They're getting closer to us. When I was a student, I had to take my bicycle across campus to get to the computer. Now we carry them in our pockets, hang them from our belts. They're moving onto our eyes and our ears. Ultimately, we'll move into our bodies. Some people have done that already. Uh, so these are literally, you know, extending our human reach, including the reach of our brains.
2: But at the same time, to the human brain, having a million choices is the same as having one. We can't possibly go through a million choices. I think the latest Verizon phone lets you load 200,000 apps. Uh, That's really just wasted unless there's some analytical or some filtering device that allows me to get to the app that I need.
3: That's exactly the point of, search engines. You have, we have access to billions of items of information, uh, but search engines help us find exactly the right ones. Uh, that's what I'm working on now at Google, is to make search engines more intelligent, so they won't just be looking for the right words. They'll actually understand the meaning of of documents, but we have these sort of brain extenders that do have access to billions of pieces of information and find just the right combination of knowledge you know, to help Uh, what you're interested in and ultimately we will actually expand our brain capacity because we we will extend our uh, mental capacity into the cloud. Uh, I would argue we're doing that already even though the devices are outside our brains but ultimately we will be able to you know expand the size of our neocortex which is where we do our thinking uh, with becoming a hybrid of biological and non-biological intelligence
2: Mm -hmm. Now, you've even talked about the fact that uh, we will be looking at nanobots in our bodies that would eliminate fat and give us the right nutrition uh, and avoid certain uh, uh, diseases.
3: Right. Now, we can see the forerunners of that. There are people who are putting computerized devices in their bodies and brains, generally for serious medical conditions like Parkinson's disease. You can put a computer... Connected right into your brain, download new software to this neural implant from outside the patient. Uh, these require surgery today because they're P size. They're pretty small, but they're not the size of blood cells. Uh, another very predictable exponential trend is the shrinking or miniaturization of technology. So these things will be the size of blood cells in the 2030s. Uh, one application, for example, will be to extend our immune system. We have intelligent little devices inside the blood cells. They're called white blood cells, which are actually intelligent little machines, and they ferret out enemies like bacteria and and destroy them. But they have limitations. It doesn't recognize cancer, for example. It thinks that's you. It doesn't uh, work very well with retroviruses. So we can create a synthetic white blood cell that will... So that will overcome these limitations and will destroy all pathogens and ultimately destroy all disease. I used to call that the killer app of nanotechnology, but <laughs> yeah. that was not a good name for it.
2: Unfortunately, we have to take a short commercial break, but uh, stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more of the future with Ray Kurzweil. You're listening to the Costa Report.
4: Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone, this data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data, and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile, and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM Big Data Platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start, it matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today.
2: If you listen to the news today, you might come away with the impression that our biggest challenges are political and economic. But if this were true, then countries which have different political and economic systems would be facing different problems. But they aren't. Every government and every nation is struggling with job creation, debt, immigration, climate change, terrorism, health care, energy, and wild swings in financial markets. So something else must be going on. That's why I'm inviting you to get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle, a book which shows how the Roman, Mayan, and Khmer empires once faced similar challenges and what we can do to avoid their fate. Visit RebeccaCosta.com today and get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle because once you do, you'll never look at the world the same way.
1: Enjoy chocolate of all types at the 6th Annual Santa Cruz Chocolate Festival. Sunday, January 20th, from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Coconut Grove on the Beach Boardwalk. Sponsored by the UCSC Women's Club, proceeds support re-entry student scholarships at UCSC. Enjoy the silent auction, wine tasting, the Santa Cruz Derby Girls, and cupcake decorating. For more information, check santacruzchocolatefestival.org.
5: Essential oils have been used for thousands of years by ancient civilizations. Some oils even mentioned in the Bible. The secrets of the ages are now available to you through Essentially Yours, an aromatherapy and essential oils workshop. You'll learn how to use these oils for treating a variety of health challenges from scrapes, infections, digestive problems, and even depression. The Essentially Yours workshop is uniquely designed to teach you the healing arts of essential oils. Your instructor will be Brenda Wright. An internationally renowned aromatherapy essential oils expert. Each attendee will learn how to use essential oils to deal with health challenges and household uses. This two-day seminar will be held Friday, January twenty-fourth, and Saturday, January twenty fifth. Space for this workshop is limited, so register early by going to the web at legacyoils.info. That's legacyoils.info or call eight 800- hundred. Nine one zero eleven ninety six. That's 800
1: Hey, I'm Ethan Behrman. If you want to break free of the groupthink that infects society today, tune in to The Ethan Behrman Show. I not only tell you what is going on in the world, but present solutions. Listen to the show this week as I discuss politics and healthcare with three-time Massachusetts governor and Democratic presidential nominee Michael Dukakis. I'll be taking your calls while presenting ideas that are left, right, and forward. Listen to The Ethan Behrman Show this Sunday, 4 to 6 p.m. right here on AM 1340 KOMY.
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is futurist and inventor, Mr. Ray Kurzweil. And before the break, we were talking about the miniaturization of robots, which will uh, soon allow us to inject these robots into our bodies, and they'll act as uber-antibodies, preventing and eliminating disease. Um, Now, continuing along those lines, I believe you also predicted... Just
3: to clarify, I I wouldn't say it's soon. I mean, this is some decades away. What, What is soon is Having these bodies, these uh, devices, very close to our bodies, on our eyes, uh, in and around our ears, uh, on our wrists, uh, so that we're getting more and more intimate with with our technology, Uh, and and this is a general trend because, as I mentioned, you know, when I was a student, uh, the the one computer was across campus, Uh, so we're going to be using multiple computers uh, that are kind of part of who we are, even if they're not literally inside our bodies. And that, that is happening soon.
2: Well, absolutely. I'm an evolutionary biologist, so anytime someone says decades, that sounds like a blink of an eye to me. <laughs>
3: yep.
2: uh, con- conti- perspective. Yeah, conti- continuing along those lines, I believe that you predict that uh, it also won't be long before we're able to upload the contents of our brain to a computer and uh, use a holographic image of ourselves uh, to allow us to live, learn, and perhaps function in a virtual universe. In other words, our, our consciousness could continue even after this biological spacesuit that we're in uh, fails. Can, can you speak about that for a moment?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's even further off, but uh, I mean, right now we go around and we have very important information to us, which is, you know, all of the information in our brains uh, reflecting the structure of our neural connections and all the neurotransmitters. Uh, And that's information just like information in your cell phone. But unlike your cell phone, it's not backed up. Mm -hmm. And people will think it's pretty remarkable 100 years from now that we actually went through the day without backing up our mind file. (laughs) Uh, That that will be feasible. I need that that
2: backup, by the way. I need it desperately. Are you working on that?
3: (laughs) Well, I think we all are. or advancing technology that's a 2040s or 2050s scenario uh but ultimate but i think that the way that's going to happen is we're going to expand our our minds uh by extending it with technology we'll be thinking partly in the cloud we will be a hybrid of non-biological and, bi- and biological intelligence that's you know 2040s mm-hmm. uh and, of course, the non-biological parts will be backed up just as it is today, and that, that part will grow exponentially. So ultimately, uh, that will dominate.
2: Well, now let me ask you something. Uh, you joined Google in 2012. Um, so why do that? I mean, I can understand why Google would benefit from having you on board, but what was in it for you?
3: Well, the project in which I've had the most passion for literally 50 years has been creating artificial intelligence. I actually wrote a paper 50 years ago about that, about how I thought the brain worked and uh, how to build artificial intelligence based on these biologically inspired methods. And, and then I wrote a book 50 years after that, which was uh, in 2012, how to create a mind. And Larry Page read that and liked it and wrote uh, I wanted to develop those ideas, and we both agreed that the best place to do that would be Google because of the really fantastic Google resources. So, you know, you want to run something on a million computers, or you want to run uh, something on every web page and every book page. You, you know, I can do that at Google, and there's really no other place I could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is really the ideal place for me to continue this sort of lifelong passion, which is to create computers that have intelligence and. What I'm focusing on is natural language understanding, to actually understand uh, the language on web pages and book pages, what they mean, so that we can base search not just on looking for keywords, but actually looking for ideas.
2: Yes, and and intention, intention, I think, falls into that as well. You know, I'm a little surprised we're even talking about artificial intelligence because we've had so many fits and starts going back to the 1950s. Um, I know we have short memories, but uh, some of the folks listening will remember that we started calling the 1970s the AI winter because funding seemed to dry up for anything associated with even those two words.
3: what, What happened in the 1950s? There was a program called General Problem Solver, mm-hmm. created at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, and it could actually solve mathematical theorems that had remained unsolved for many decades. And so the creators of that program said, oh, within uh, 20 years, these machines will be able to do anything a man can do. They didn't actually mention women. but uh, <laughs> and That's
2: it, because it would have taken these, 30 years.
3: Yeah, well, <laughs> it's actually... Neither of those things happened in twenty or thirty years and it led to disillusionment. I've actually read about the I've written about the life cycle of technologies and very often you have this early over enthusiasm when problems are not fully understood and then yes. when those early predictions of victory don't come about, this disillusionment. I remember the internet crash around the year two thousand, it was the same phenomenon. So there was the AI winter in the 70s and 80s where people decided, oh, AI is impossible. Yeah. But now, and it actually took uh, several decades for us to get over that. Now with recent uh, victories in artificial intelligence like the Google self-driving cars or IBM's Watson computer that won Jeopardy game, uh, there's a renewed confidence that artificial intelligence is indeed feasible Uh and, you know, we saw the same thing in, with the Internet. There was the boom in the 90s and then the disillusionment with the Internet crash in the, two, in the year 2000. That's, in fact, when Google got started. So now we certainly see Internet companies that, that can make money Uh so we're we're back in a resurgence phase of artificial intelligence.
2: Now, we hear a lot of buzz about big data. Boy, there's so many new big data conferences, and that just seems to be the new shiny technology. Uh, do you see big data as a bridge to artificial intelligence?
3: Well, I think it's one of the necessary ingredients. Uh, you know, actually, some fairly simple techniques if you have a vast amount of data, it can actually produce very good results. Mm-hmm. Like we can do a pretty decent job of language translation with uh, techniques that are not that complicated if you have what are called a Rosetta Stone text, which is translated text in a pair of languages. Uh, but my thesis is that if we actually use more sophisticated techniques that are modeled on how the human brain uh, processes information and have access to all of this rich information, which a company like Google has, uh, we can do an even better job. And so that's what I'm trying to accomplish along with a lot of other talented people.
2: It's very interesting how uh, analytics seems to be evolving into artificial intelligence and uh, uh, learning machines, Uh, but as you say, this has been a long and rough road to uh, artificial intelligence, and I think we did suffer from a little bit of over-optimism, and hopefully uh, the pieces needed to make artificial intelligence have developed over the uh, past few decades. And uh, so it'll...
3: Well, I think think that's typical of any technology we see. We're right now in the early enthusiasm phase of three-dimensional printing, for example. Yes. I think all these technologies ultimately uh, come around, but the early enthusiasm very often ignores uh, early problems. And, you know, artificial intelligence is perhaps the ultimate... Challenge because uh, the most powerful phenomenon in the world is intelligence and uh, you know human intelligence has allowed us to reshape our world and
2: absolutely uh, I believe
3: we're already amplifying it with the artificial intelligence we have today, and that's going to continue to grow. Mm-hmm.
2: Now we have to take another break and when we come back, we will talk about Google's acquisition of Boston Dynamics. You're listening to the Costa report.
6: Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes. From salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouth-watering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad, or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berry dish.
3: With key offices open for re-election this spring, including county registrar and sheriff, ensure that your vote counts. Bev Harris, the Aaron Brockovich of elections and founder of Black Box Voting, will join us via teleconference to discuss the voting process and the potential dangers posed by electronic voting machines. Join us at Freedom Forum 7 p.m. Wednesday, January 15th, 1917th Avenue, Santa Cruz free. Donations appreciated and doors open at 6.30.
7: My name is Mickey Phelps here from Crown Cafe and Scotts Valley Market. I just wanted to let you know that Scotts Valley Market has some amazing prices on meat and produce and of course throughout the store. Jared and his crew from the meat department will be more than happy to cut a nice filet mignon to your liking. Also, Scotts Valley Market has an amazing hot food bar and also we make some of the best sandwiches in town, like the Irish. So folks, come on in and you'll find out that scott's valley market has some amazing everyday deals also at scott's valley market be sure to look for those yellow tags that's where you're gonna save a lot of money and we'll be sure that we are very competitive with other grocery stores out there what makes us different is that we are local and family owned so come on in and while you're there be sure to ask for mickey and don't forget that if you need any catering give crown cafe a call at 831-566-1425 831-566-1425.
1: Here's an important message
8: from MZ. As you know, we at KSCO KOMY have the most intelligent audience in all of radio. By design, because we do not allow stupid people to listen to either station. It is our goal to not only have the most intelligent audience in radio, but the healthiest audience as well. That is why we strongly promote 90 for Life Longevity health products the Healthy Body Start Pack, and Beyond Tangy Tangerine in particular. These products are available during business hours at KSCO Studios at 2300 Portola Drive, Santa Cruz, frequently in conjunction with valuable promotions such as K's book, KSCO hats, tote bags, and bumper stickers. Now, because we want to make it easier than ever for members of our audience to become and stay healthy, we are looking for 12 retail businesses within our KSCO coverage area to partner with us in our Optimal Health Quest promotion. If you own a business or know someone who owns a business and would like to participate in KSCO's Get Everyone Healthy program, and thereby receive advertising incentives and start to build a powerful revenue stream, send an email to me, mz at ksco.com, with the words health promotion in the subject line. Tell me about your business, and I will personally get back to you ASAP.
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Ray Kurzweil. And just to finish up on the uh, subject of artificial intelligence, last year the president announced a project to map the human brain, uh, which seemed to me like a major breakthrough. Um, we set out to map the human genome, and that's had a an incredible impact on genomic sciences and medicine. So I, I was excited to hear that we're mapping the brain. Do you have any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, one comment: this, the genome project is a perfect example of my law of accelerating returns because the amount of sequencing we did doubled every year during that project yes and the cost came down by half every year so halfway through the project one percent had been done and uh, critics said oh i told you this wasn't going to work seven years one percent can take 700 years like you <laughs> said and that was linear thinking yeah. my reaction was one percent we're almost done because one percent is only seven doublings from 100 percent." and indeed th- that's exactly what happened and the same thing is happening with uh of mapping the human brain I will point out it's not one simple project there's many different ways to go about uh, reverse engineering the brain and some people are uh, studying you know at the molecular level individual neurons and some are trying to map the connection patterns all of this is very useful information because as we understand how the human brain works in more detail we can use that as a blueprint or a set of ideas to create artificial intelligence Uh, And that's actually what my book, How to Create a Mind, uh, is about. Mm -hmm. And I actually have a thesis for how the neocortex, which is where we do our thinking, works and how we can use that uh, to uh, propel artificial intelligence. Uh, So it's really a funding program with many diverse approaches, but I think it's uh, very important for several reasons. One is to get these better ideas about AI. Two, to find out better ways to actually prepare the brain And third, to understand who we are, uh, which is the ultimate goal of the arts and sciences.
2: Mm -hmm. Now, um, let's let's switch gears for just a moment. Uh, Last month, Google surprised a lot of folks by buying Boston Dynamics, a a robotics company that makes research robots primarily for the military. And and many people feel that you were the uh, driving force behind that decision, given your views on singularity. So uh, let me ask you this. Is the challenge now to marry robotics to analytics, and then ultimately artificial intelligence?
3: Well, first of all, I mean, there are a number of voices at Google that are uh, advocating artificial intelligence. Uh, I am among those, and I think it's a a, uh, a very important direction for Google and other companies to go in. And there's many different aspects of artificial intelligence. My own focus, as I mentioned, is on understanding natural language But Google really wants to have expertise in all these different aspects of artificial intelligence. Its it's best-known sort of robotics project is the self-driving car, uh, which is, you know, actually a practical technology. When when Google started working on that, people thought, well, it would be a nice thing to work on, but of course that will never work. But it actually does work. These cars have gone half a million miles or more uh, without human drivers and without any incidents, which is already a much better record than human drivers. Uh, And there's many different applications of robotics that will be feasible. I mean, I can't talk about specific product plans, but, you know, Mm -hmm. you can imagine uh, robotic assistance that would help you clear the kitchen table, for example.
2: And in particular, places like agriculture, where we're experiencing massive labor shortages, um, you know, I, and, and, and,
3: and already agriculture is greatly automated. We had uh-huh. 30% of the population working in agriculture in 1900. It, it was down to 3% in the year 2000. It's now down to 2%. Uh, so productivity is greatly enhanced through, uh-huh. the, uh, through automation and this is another step in that direction.
2: So um so we see Google moving into robotics we see you moving into artificial intelligence uh, and and you know really doing a lot of things that seemed unusual for a um, a search engine company a company that started out as a search engine company uh, this seems like fast evolution for a for even a corporation what do you think?
3: Well I think it's important to know what business you're in you know around Nineteen hundred. If you were making horseshoes and saw yourself in the horseshoe business, uh, the future didn't look bright. But uh, if you saw yourself in the transportation business, uh, then actually there was a very bright future. So Google sees itself in the in the business of the intelligent processing of information and organizing the world's information, really for everyone. I mean, right now there's over a billion users, but the goal is you know seven or eight billion users, uh, and to to process information ever more intelligently, Uh, so it's not just search and uh, Google already does language translation and it answers questions and it recommends uh, products, Uh, so it does a lot of different things to process information intelligently for its users.
2: For speaking about uh, processing and responding to information intelligently, um, not long ago, Harvard biologist uh, Edward Wilson commented that we've got Paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology, and and this is a dangerous combination. And it seems to me that no matter how much technology we invent, if our if our emotions and our institutions don't evolve quickly, we're we're in a bit of a pickle, aren't we?
3: Uh, I don't agree with that. Uh, I wrote in the 1980s that the Soviet Union would be swept away by the then-emerging social network, which was early forms of email over television machines and fax machines. And people thought that was ridiculous. That a
2: you were right,
3: a network of clandestine network of hackers would sweep away this mighty nuclear superpower. But that's exactly what happened in the 1991 coup against Gorbachev. Uh, communication has always been very democratizing. Like the first stirrings of democracy in the modern world came with, you know, the advent of uh, printing. Uh, and we've seen a great uh, surge of democ- democratization uh, during the Internet uh, surge in the 1990s. We see the impact now of social networks. Uh, so we do harness the wisdom of crowds uh, when we have everybody communicating and people can share information that leads to better decision-making and more peace. Uh, but
2: you would agree again, we're not right. born blank slates. We, we have, you know, we each carry in us uh, predispositions for uh, territoriality, for violence, for that's any, any that's numbers of inconvenient of a, we're
6: emotions. Part
3: of a, we're part of a society. Uh, Steven Pinker had a very interesting book recently talking about a reverse in, exponential of violence, uh, uh, through uh, base, uh, greater prosperity uh, and also greater communication, your chance of being killed today in violence, either state sponsored or interpersonal, is 500 times less than it was several centuries ago. Mm-hmm. Now, this belies the common wisdom because don't, don't you listen to the news? I mean, <laughs> there's violence constantly. Right. Well, that's because we have exponentially better information you know, through mm-hmm. programs like yours and the rest of the media and all the online communication. So if there's a battle in Fallujah, we not only hear about it, we you know, we're part of it. We see it and experience it. Uh, that's painful, but it's a good thing because it actually leads us to pay attention to these problems. You know, there could be a battle in the next village 100 years ago. You wouldn't even hear about it. Uh, but, you know, we are actually in the most peaceful time in human history and it's not an accident it's it is because uh of our communication technology and our sharing of knowledge and wisdom and uh you know it's also true you can have the wisdom of lynch mobs uh with communication but i would say the wisdom of crowds is winning out overall
2: certainly uh recent history tends to support your view on that uh, and uh, but though we we do see that our institutions seem to be lagging slightly behind technology, that may uh, be the continue to be the case only because technology is exponentiating so quickly. Uh, i I get yeah, a little I mean
3: look at the impact look at the impact of social networks on politics today, even in the United states it's uh, there's much greater visibility of what's going on and how decisions are made, and people have much more impact.
2: Yes, and and in particular, the turmoil in the Middle East. Now, we have to uh, take our last break, and uh, we'll be right back with Ray Kurzweil. You're listening to the Costa Report.
1: Fifty years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. But something you may not know is that Dr. King was represented by the world's foremost speaking agency, the American Program Bureau. The American Program Bureau has a courageous history of representing luminaries, entertainers, and motivators from all backgrounds. From Ronald Reagan, Richard Branson, and Mikhail Gorbachev to John Stewart, Michael Douglas, and Desmond Tutu. From A-list celebrities to best-selling authors, cutting-edge business leaders, and the greatest minds in academia, the American Program Bureau has speakers to fit every venue and every budget. When corporations, conferences, schools, and community organizations need an expert speaker, they turn to the American Program Bureau to help Help them craft an event that will be remembered long afterwards to inquire about a speaker for your next engagement contact the american program bureau at 800-225-4575 or visit our website at apb speakers.com the american program bureau making history one speech at a time
2: i don't know about you but when i'm invited to someone's home i like to bring a nice bottle of wine with me and i I never know what to bring, especially if I don't know what they're serving. So, Scott, help me out. What's a surefire winner?
3: You know, a Pinot Noir is a real great wine as a default to take to dinner because it's so versatile where you can eat it with a variety of fish as well as go the other way towards red meat, porks, ducks.
2: Really anything. And and so what if they like white wines? What do you recommend?
3: You know, a Chardonnay is always a safe bet because of the familiarity with Chardonnay. Um as well as I always try to get people to take bubbles and um, make it not just an occasion wine, but an enjoyment of the wine.
2: Bubbly wine is, I don't know, it's more festive.
3: Always more festive.
2: It is, and it makes the occasion special. So where can people go again to get Caraccioli wines?
3: They can go to our tasting room in downtown Carmel. It's on Dolores Street between Ocean and 7th, or you could visit the website at www.caracciolicellars.com.
2: Do you know a hero? Hi, I'm Camilla Blutin with the American Red Cross Santa Cruz County Chapter, and we're calling on all local residents and companies to nominate individuals and organizations whose extraordinary acts of courage or community service have made a difference in Santa Cruz County. These heroes, nominated by the public, will be recognized at the Santa Cruz County Heroes Breakfast on May 14th at the Coconut Grove. The event raises money for our local Red Cross to help prevent, prepare for, and respond to
4: disasters and services. The nomination deadline is February 21st. Visit RedCross.org Santa Cruz for more information. and. Nominate your hero today.
9: Hi, I'm Andy, the produce manager at Ben Lomond Market. This week, we are featuring Washington Apple. We have Cameo Apples, $1.19 a pound, Red Delicious Apples, $0.99 cents a pound, Gala Apples, $1.19 a pound, and Large Fuji Apples, $1.49 a pound. We also have California Large or Small Naval Oranges, $0.89 cents a pound, Red Seedless Grapes, $2.49 a pound, and a two-pound bag baby-peeled carrots, $1.49 each. From Mexico, we have fresh jicama, $0.59 cents a pound. Jicama is a great item for your relish dishes. In organics, we are featuring, featuring bananas, $0.99 cents a pound, red leaf or green leaf lettuce, $1.49 each, and one-pound bag baby-peeled carrots, $1.49 each. We have many more specials, so come check out our great selection of fresh produce at Ben Loman Market. Hi, Jacoby
8: here, host of Raising the Standards, right here on KFCEO Saturdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Tune in and join me, Rachel, my co-host, our buddy Rick, and some of the most interesting folks in the world as we chat and play the best music on the planet. And remember, if at some point during the program you're not offended. Well, you're just not listening. Raising the standards Saturdays here on KSEO three to five.
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa and my guest today is inventor, futurist and author Ray Kurzweil. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, I'm an evolutionary biologist by training and uh, it, it feels to me that the information age and uh, analytics, pattern recognition, and now artificial intelligence, it's all led up to positioning humans as the first predictive organism. I mean, thanks to machines, we can perform uh, scenarios we could never perform before, and we know when hurricanes are going to come ashore and when a country's currency is in trouble and, and even when I, whether I'm susceptible to certain cancers. Um, and any organism that can predict Uh, can also uh, preempt negative outcomes. So I was wondering, in your view, uh, how do these predictive powers factor into our future?
3: Well, that's the whole point of the brain, is actually to predict the future, although I will say that the built-in predictors we have are linear because the kind of problems we had when our brains were evolving were linear ones. We saw an animal in in the wild, and we tried to predict where it would be so we wouldn't intersect it. Uh, and we made a linear prediction that that animal would continue at the current pace, and that was a pretty good assumption uh, that
2: which explains why linear. we're terrible at exponentiation. I mean, you can give the simplest well, exponentiating exactly, yep. problem, and we get it wrong every time.
3: That's exactly my key point because uh, information technology progresses exponentially, and it's uh, they're actually fairly similar at first because uh, linear starts at one, two, three, and exponential is 248, sounds pretty similar, but by step 30, the exponential trend is at at a billion, and so people get that wrong, and that's quite a radical difference, Uh, but the whole point of our having a brain is so that we can anticipate the future, uh, the consequences of action or inaction, and the big innovation in Homo sapiens is that we have a bigger neocortex with this frontal cortex we have these big foreheads if you look at other primates they have a slanted brow they don't have this big forehead we have that gave us a a little bit of additional uh, ability to predict the future and think through the consequences of action and inaction and then we also had uh, an opposable appendage of thumb so that we could turn our imagination about what the future could be into action and actually shape the future so I could look at a branch and say "Wow, I could make a tool out of that and then I could actually do it uh, if you look at chimpanzees, they have a similar-looking hand, but it doesn't actually work that well. So, these were the evolutionary changes uh, They were the enabling factors for technology. And technology is really part of the human civilization. It expands our uh, our ability to to shape the world around us. But from
2: an evolutionary perspective, just you know, looking at the whole uh, entire history of the human organism. Uh, the ability to anticipate a negative or a risky outcome has got to be the greatest evolutionary asset that that any organism could develop and yet it is remarkable how uh, infrequently we use that asset in fact it feels unnatural how infrequently we use the greatest asset we've evolved
3: well i don't i don't know that I- agree with that. I mean, we're constantly thinking through what's going to happen and how we can shape that. Uh, well, and Well, let's just take California
2: for a moment. We've known a huge drought was headed its way. We, we can see uh, patterns of climate change. Uh, we have uh, technology like cell desalination and any other numbers of remedies we could do but we seem to be sitting like the Mayans and waiting for the problem to be upon us and as you say these exponentiating problems once they're upon you uh, they're not easy to stop this is a snowball the size of a building
3: soon well yes and no I mean I'm more sanguine uh, about environmental impact of energy for example because uh we have exponential growth of solar energy fueled by technologies like nanotechnology applied to to solar panels. So we're actually doubling the amount of solar energy every two years and we're less than seven doublings away from it meeting hundred percent of our energy needs. And at that point we'll be using one part in ten thousand of the sunlight, so we it's not true we're running out of energy, it's just in the wrong form, but we have emerging technologies that will convert it into the right form. Uh and know, these kind of alarming warnings is part of our method of anticipating the future. I mean if we didn't have a neocortex and all the scientific establishments we've created, we wouldn't even know about these problems. So we are aware of trends and Uh, there are technological solutions that are emerging to deal with it.
2: And yet, from a biological standpoint, unless we see a snake in the road or, you know, these Hollywood films where a meteor is going to hit the earth and all of a sudden we all join arms and sing Kumbaya and, you know, attack the meteor or the alien from outer space, we seem to be only wired at this point in time to respond to near-term danger. There are very few individuals, I would argue, such as yourself and other uh, that you work with uh, who are trying to get on top of future events. Uh, you know, our bodies flood with chemicals as soon as there is a danger upon us, and then we spring into action. It's very difficult to get people's attention about uh, inevitable issues that require maybe long t- longer time periods to preempt.
3: Well, the, I mean, that's the whole point of the media and the scientific establishment is to be able to, uh, you know, view the world in a way that we can then harness some of these ancient programs of perceiving danger and respond to it. Uh, I'm more optimistic because I I see the tools we have to deal with these problems expanding exponentially. The people look at it and they don't see the exponential expansion of the power of these tools and if I thought linearly, I also would be alarmed about the future. I'm only optimistic because uh, these tools uh, are and our ability to solve these problems are expanding at an exponential rate.
2: You feel that uh, over time, these tools will eliminate many of these irrational uh, decisions and policies because uh, they they will uh, they will in many ways affect the decisions and, and allow us to make better decisions. Is that right?
3: Well I think we do perceive problems of the future and and the tools to deal with them are are getting more powerful at, mm-hmm. you know at an exponential rate as we've discussed uh, so I, I'm, I'm sanguine about a lot of the problems that people are anguished about today
2: Um, So I don't know if you know this, uh, Mr. Kurzweil, but you have the honor of having two entirely separate pages uh, on Wikipedia dedicated to you. One for your biography and one called Ray Kurzweil Predictions. And on that page, uh, they claim that 102 out of 108 predictions that you made were either correct or essentially correct by uh, 2009. So moving on to the next few years, if you had to put your fingers on a a single uh, internet-like transforming change that we might see, what do you think that is?
3: Well, I think uh, we're going to gain uh, over the next decades more and more mastery over the information processes underlying biology and we will really be able to reprogram our, reprogram our biology the, the same way you reprogram your cell phone away from disease and away from aging. That will be quite dramatic over the next 20 years. Another trend is uh, augmented virtual reality I mean, you and I right now are at least in an auditory virtual reality space. We're together, even though we're hundreds of miles apart, but we'll be able to do that with very compelling three-dimensional visual auditory virtual reality. We'll have augmented reality, so you look around and your glasses will actually, you know, comment on what what you're seeing and help guide you through the world. Uh, We'll have more intelligent search engines based on a real understanding of, of human language Um, we'll have self-driving cars uh, over the next decade. I mean, these are a few things we can look forward to.
2: Well, uh, before we run out of time, uh, I want to be sure that I ask you how listeners today can stay on top of your work. Do you have a website?
3: Yeah, we actually have a very popular one with uh, over 3 million readers. It's KurzweilAI.net, so K-U-R-Z-W-E-I-L-A-I.
2: Okay, great. Uh, There's a daily
3: newsletter that's free that you can sign up for, which is also very popular.
2: It's one of my favorite newsletters, and I recommend it to all our listeners that want to stay on top of where the world is heading. Well, that's our program for today, but before we say goodbye, I would like to take this opportunity to thank you for continuing to push the frontiers of science. Thank you, Mr. Kurzweil.
3: Well, thank you. I enjoyed uh, talking to you.
2: If your station is leaving us after this hour and you have a question or a comment to make about today's program, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or send me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and let me know what you thought about our conversation with Mr. Kurzweil today. My guest next week is former Senate Majority Leader George Mitchell from Northern Ireland to Special Envoy in the Israeli Arab Peace Talks. Mitchell is one of our country's most skilled negotiators, and he's going to be with us to talk about what it's going to take to get both parties working together in our nation's capital. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio. Following these messages, you're listening to the Costa Report.